Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor, and I'm Ben Kaspit uh, from Tel Aviv. Some of you uh, may remember that when General Benny Gantz went into politics a few years ago, the slogan of the Resilience for Israel party that he formed was, there is no more right and left. Contrary to the nature of uh, most election slogans, this one was an accurate uh, description. The political controversy in Israel today has less to do with the traditional debate between the left and the right, between supporters of the two-state solution and those who support the status quo and or the greater land of Israel. The political clash these days is marked by two other almost identical fault uh, lines. The first is the bitter divide between supporters of Benjamin Netanyahu and the anything but Netanyahu camp. These camps are drawn and defined by yet another fault line, the ones splitting liberals and conservatives. Conservative Israelis are generally religious believers of all colors, Ashkenazi or Sephardic, ultra-Orthodox, religious Zionists, as well as a significant portion of traditional or even almost secular right-wingers who hold solid conservative worldviews. The opposing camp, loosely defined as secular liberals, was once the absolute majority in Israel. It has since shrunk to the point that today it is struggling for its place in the political arena. Between these two camps lies an ocean of bad blood and hostility. Many Israelis believe that the real danger to the existence of Israel as an independent Jewish state over time is the internal conflict which is tearing up the fabric of society, becoming more extreme and violent. Our conversation today will focus on this issue with some surprising findings. Judaism and Liberalism is a new book just published in Israel written by Deputy Director General of the Jewish Agency, Shivi Greenfield. The subtitle of the book is A Tale of Two Metaphysical Sisters. Greenfield presents a fascinating scholarly and authoritative thesis according to which the gaping chasm between the Jewish religion and the principles of modern Western liberalism is much smaller than we think. According to Greenfield, not only is there no such abyss, but Judaism and liberalism are both based on similar principles and can exist peacefully side by side in Israel. Greenfield is an Orthodox Jew. He is a graduate of conservative yeshivas, but also holds a PhD in political philosophy from the University of Oxford. He'll be versed in these two seemingly opposing teachings, and he will be here right with us after a short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department Correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. 
And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first-class reporting and analysis. I'm glad uh, to say hello and shalom to my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Shivi Greenfield, author of Judaism and Liberalism. Shalom, uh, Shivi, and thank you for joining us here in On Israel in Monitor. Thank you. Great being here. Okay, we're, we're celebrating, celebrating now in Israel what we call the, the, the Hebrew uh, week book or something like this. I don't know how to translate Shvua Sefer Ivri to English. It, this week is, uh, has become a, a month and we celebrate all the new books and the fact that we're still reading uh, books here in Israel and yours is out as well. And I wish it a, a, a lot of success. I started reading it, Thank it's you. fascinating. But uh, you're actually trying to, 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 uh, to fight an oxymoron because I'm sure you're aware of the fact that Israeli commentators and experts increasingly see the current political divide is being essentially between conservatives and liberals, the religious and the secular. And uh, you, on the other hand, present an opposing thesis. What is your view uh, it based on? We know that separates uh, these uh, two schools of thought. We know what separates it. Can, uh, can you explain when, where you see the, uh, the commonalities between the principles of Judaism and the principles of liberalism. Yeah, so so sure. So I'll start. The, the key thesis of my book is that there was this a very a dramatic revolution in Judaism around the first, the second uh, um, century, and uh, somehow this disappeared from our conscience, or we, it's not talked that much. And this revolution resembles very closely the modern revolution, which we know, which we know very well of in the 17th, 18th century where from a world that used to be governed by this cosmic order and where the human being was just a mere object which had no control on reality, he suddenly became you know, the center of the universe. You know, Plato say, know thy place. Wherever you were born, that's where you need to be, you know, lead your life. And liberalism came and said, no, human beings have rights. They are the center. They are those who create reality. That was you know, Kant's famous axiom um, um, in, in the critic of pure reason. That the, human, that the mind is, constructs reality. And what, what happened in the, in the first and second centuries is Chazal, um, the, the, the sages, did a, um, led a very, very similar revolution. They said, essentially, the Pasuk says, it's not in the sky. They meant God gave the Torah to the human beings, and that's it. And now the human beings lead, um, um, lead the reality. The earth is for them, the sky is for God, the earth is for the human being. Now, this revolution is not that familiar for, to us today. Um, because we know Judaism today mainly through orthodoxy. And since the 19th century, the orthodoxy, the, 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 uh, um, the kind of more with what we call today the religious kind of orthodox are working relentlessly kind of to, to make it disappear and some kind resume the old order, the, the order where that used to be uh, before this revolution takes place. And in this regard, going now to your question, um, ben, I, I'm not sure that this distinction between liberalism and conservatism is, is, is accurate in the Israeli context. 
Um, the Israeli conservatism is not a classic conservatism of the sort, you know, Edmund Burke um, um, developed in Britain and so on. It was adapted, I think, mainly as is almost from American conservatism, kind of a, you know, it's a patch on a patch, as a counter kind of view to the, to the, lib to the liberal stance, which Israeli has been characteristics of Israeli society since it was formed. I mean, it's not, it's not coincidental that Jews in the United States always, always you know, until, until very recently, you know, 90% of them voted Democrats. I mean, they, they, Jews were hardly ever part of, you know, conservatives party anywhere. And in Israel, it was also to a large extent the same thing. Even the, even the Israeli right, you know, Menachem Begin was, was liberal much more than it was conservative. And I think but, that's part of this is This is the point. I did not uh, uh, plan to ask about it, but this is exactly the point because right now in Israel, if you have an American election here, it will be 90% uh, Republicans. While when uh, the, the state was established in the, the first, I think, three or four decades uh, were the opposite, something dramatic happened here but but let me try to understand the first stage of our conversation you are basically saying that the original judaism the one of the more uh, lenient beit Hillel school is actually right. an early incarnation of western liberalism and mm -hmm. and uh, so i want to ask when exactly did it, this this change what happened that they brought the other option the beit shammai option to power and, and this is what we see now it's not only Beit Shammai it is yeah. becoming more and more extreme by the day by the week by the year they go they, they build they hire the the wall that separates the orthodox right. from the for liberally liberalism and western civilization higher and higher what happened there yeah so so I will say that uh, that what, just to give just to give an, an, an example about the similarities, to say there was for 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 Hazal the, the transformation, the revolution that took place in the first century, what you call what I define as as Beit Hillel, was to put the individual as as coming before anything else. So, for example, in conservatism, you know the the, the community, the society, the family the values come before the individual, and there's a, and there's a radical transformation taking place. Which I'll just give you an example from a very, very um, um, interesting um, um, deliberation on the halacha that, that, that illustrates this very clearly and shows and, and, and shows kind of the transformation that took place. It just gives it gives stands, you know, gives an example. If you're if you if you you're on the road and then come suddenly you're walking to Jerusalem to 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 the temple and suddenly there is a, a band of robbers that that, that 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 attacks you and says, if you don't hand us one of you, we're going to be killing all of you. And then there's a series of deliberations where the, the outcome is a clear statement that says not, not even if all of them will be killed, you will never betray, you never hand out anyone to be killed because no, no one's blood is, 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 is redder than the others. I mean, every individual is a world unto itself. So this notion where the individual comes before society is very, very, very fundamental. What changed, and this goes now to your question, in the 19th century, um, after the modern, after the, the, the Enlightenment Revolution, modernism came in, there was this wave of secularism where people suddenly with emancipation and they got these rights left, you know, in their hundreds and thousands, left the community and became the largest secular and the orthodoxy saw this and was terrified of what might take place. And then they decided to, 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 to create this, um, to go to, to put this walls and, and, and to resume what, what, what was what the Judaism that was before this decision in the first century 
of being terrified from what's going around in the world. But the, the irony is that this exact challenge, what was drawn, what was the conflict between the Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai in the first century, where after the destruction of the temple and the Roman occupation, and people suddenly um, 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 thought, where's God? And everything is going to be falling apart. They had this exact same dilemma. Do they want the Judaism of the sort of Beit Shammai that, that, that puts the walls um, in, in, across from reality? Or, or we want the Beit Hillel that says, no, part of our challenge is to be addressing the reality as it is. And the decision was clear. It was Beit Hillel. That stipulation was always halacha is like Beit Hillel. And, and everybody who, who challenges that, that's, that's that what the decision was. They challenge that is, is deserves to be punished by death. That was the statement. So what happened today is that the, the same dilemma came up again 1,700 years later. And the orthodoxy that was terrified decided to take what might be the easy path and say, no, let's just, let's just sh let's shy away from the world. Let's put walls. Let's, let's uh, um, um, decide that we don't want anything to do with modernity. And, and that how, that, that's how this transformation took place. And for us, the irony is that, that because we know today Judaism mostly through orthodox, I mean, most of secular Jews in Israel have very little knowledge of Judaism. So they, so what, what orthodoxy portrays as Judaism is considered by them to be the authentic Judaism. So there's this notion of a conflict where there isn't really one. Because by the way, and, and you say in your book that it's also vice versa, that two sides knows too little about the other side. Exactly. The liberals right. don't know what you, you just told us, that the, the early Judaism, maybe the original Judaism, is a lot more liberal than they, 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 than they think. And the Orthodox you just mentioned, by, it's, by the way, it's not only the Orthodox, even, you know, the what we call the religious the Zionists, religious Zionists uh, that right. were, were used to be a lot lighter and a lot more pragmatic, and we, we try to define them as the bridge between the, the Orthodox and the secular, they're going all the time rapidly, very fast right. to the extreme side, and it's a part of this phenomenon that you just uh, exactly. spoke about. Tell me a, a, a few words about yourself, Shivi. You, you're an Orthodox Jew. Yeah. You, you studied and stayed in many uh, hardcore Orthodox yeshivas, and then yeah. you moved to the other side. Give us some details. Yeah, so I, I, I was born into, my mother comes from an ultra-Orthodox background, from a Haredi background, and uh, so I, I was born into a house, but she's, she, she always and continues to be a very strong liberal, which is very, very rare and unique in the Orthodox community. So I went I studied all my life until I was the age of 23. I had no interaction whatsoever. I was in the army in a, in, in a, in a religious troop, in the paratroopers, but, it, but I, I didn't have almost any interactions with, with secular. And university was the first time I really had interaction. And, and, and I, I grew up with a very strong religious background, but also with a very strong liberal one. And I realized that, that for all, both sides I've been encountering, my religious friends and, and, and family and my liberal friends in the university, nobody is... Nobody was able to, to, to um, hold this kind of, this idea that there can be someone who, who holds them both. Um, and part of the issue is that, that the Orthodox just kind of assume as granted that the, that, the that the Judaism as they understand it today is the authentic one from, 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 from ever. And, and liberals have very little knowledge of what Judaism says aside of what Orthodox tell them it says. So definitely that's uh, the major challenge this book tries to address is to say, look, here's the knowledge. I mean, reclaim, see what Judaism really is, you know, judge it on your own. It's okay to be, a cons it's okay to be conservative, to be ultra-Orthodox, 
but but also know that Judaism is not just like one club like we see one it, version what you say actually exactly. we see one version uh, unfortunately the, the most extre extreme one right mm -hmm. now in our uh, front uh, the desk uh, but this is not the whole picture. So look, let's try to translate your theory into reality. Over a mm -hmm. hundred thousand people took part this past weekend in the yeah. Pride Parade in Tel Aviv. People came from all over the world to the city that many regard as one of the world's LGBT capitals and turned the, the event into a huge show of uh, extroverted liberalism. How do you sell this to the millions of ultra-Orthodox and religious people in Israel, the vast majority of whom see such events as a perverted pagan ritual. So, so this is, this is a, an excellent kind of example for something what I would call even a pathology of, of Orthodoxy today. So, so the gay right, even, you know, even if it says in the Torah that, that, that gay relationships are prohibited, it's like one of many other prohibitions that you know that that, that exists there, like uh, that many you know Israelis today do not keep. There's an issue here specifically that is focused on it. It's because um, I think this this anything that has to do with sexu sexuality is becoming an obsession, rep kind of representing you know the, the, the liberalism and 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 what you say a metiranut, which um, being kind of permissive. And the real issue, and this is why I asked right in the book about Beit Hillel. Beit Hillel in in their days had to deal with very similar challenges of understanding suddenly that what was said in the Torah just isn't practical to today's life for, for all sorts of reasons. And they were able to, to, to devise kind of halachic solutions to many, many different challenges. And for sure, if Beit Hillel had to deal with this today, knowing today that this kind of sexual orientation is not something that is just you choose, it's something that has to do with kind of your identity, no doubt in my view that they would find a solution to it. M my thought is that the reason why it's, 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 it's so, there's so much obsession in the orthodoxy today with anything having to do with sexuality and with gay rights is, is because, of, because it relates to, 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 to sex, not, to, not because it relates to something that is prohibited. There are many things prohibited that they're not taking, they're not um, um, obsessed about it in that way. So I think part of the issue is not knowing how Allah can solve things that are inherent to our reality yeah. and trying just to fed them away and say they'll disappear. I'll give you another example because we succeeded so much in the first one. Uh, over the weekend, an, an argument developed on Twitter between uh, a father whose daughter serves in the army and was promoted, but unlike her two male colleagues whose uh, stripes were pinned on them by their male commanders, in her case, they had to find a female soldier to pin her because yeah. both commanders are religious and would not touch a woman who is not their wife. How do you see this seemingly trivial incident, which actually reflects a much wider and more problematic divide? Exactly. So, so this goes to, so this is a classic example. You know, the reason why, in, in principle, they weren't allowed to do it is because when a woman is in her period, According already to the Torah, there's some kind of restrictions that you need to be, uh, you need to, you need to keep. But these restrictions in the Torah and, and through the Talmud, um, they amount up to five. Today there are hundreds and thousands. What Mahalacha did over the two hundred, over the past two hundred years, is to take this very specific um, um, restriction, aiming to make sure that the, that that a wife and husband do not have sex during the period, and 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 just applied it across the board and everything having to do.
with relations between the sexes, again, in order to avoid and to minimize any interaction whatsoever. So this is a, a classic example of how something was taken out of proportion in, in order to protect, in order to create this kind of wall. And the fact that today even religious Zionists are, 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 playing, are playing along with it, it just demonstrates how this, how, how this um, fear from liberalism and um, from modernity um, shapes all the ways of life. I'm, I, I, if this can, you know, the trajectory is that in, in 10 and 20 years, exactly like ultra-Orthodox today, also Zionists won't be willing to, you know, share buses with, with, with women, won't be willing to do many things with women because this never ends, this kind of extreme of fighting, of, of trying to escape um, um, this inclusiveness of liberalism and of Beit Hillel. I have to say that uh, the whole the uh, uh, issue is uh, fascinating uh, for us in Israel, I think for uh, any, anybody that is interested in, uh, in liberal, liberalism versus uh, theological and, and religious uh, concepts, etc. And uh, I, let's summarize something here. Let's uh, let's ask you uh, in your book talk about the fact that Judaism and liberalism have common common genetics, and both are based on almost identical metaphysical assumptions. So how did these two sisters, as you uh, maybe even twins, as you call them, grow so far apart? Obviously, siblings can be radically different despite their shared genetics, and yet <clears throat> it's impossible not to see the huge chasm that has opened up between the two camps or sisters, especially in Israel and Israeli politics as well. Yes, so, so the chasm you, you describe is not really between Judaism and liberalism. What we see is between orthodoxy and liberalism, between one specific interpretation and liberalism. And I, I think the real issue here is the fact that orthodoxy today is just considered to be the authentic representation of Judaism, and therefore it's associated, everything with orthodoxy immediately is considered to be Judaism. I think part of the issue, what I define, what I say in the book about reclaiming is to say, no, I mean, it's a legitimate interpretation. That's okay. Beit Shammai existed also in the first century, but this chasm isn't, isn't inherent to Judaism and liberalism at all. And the original, the, the real stance, the one that was accepted for halacha for 1700 years, was completely aligned. So if we go back to Beit Hillel, we see they are still very close to each other. Major important differences, but uh, there are two different, obviously two different worldviews in many, many different ways, but the, mora the, the moral principles that govern them are very, very similar, almost identical, I would say. And that's what I try to demonstrate in the book. Uh, yes, and I'm, uh, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm uh, reading it. Uh, and I want to ask you about this process. I see now a question that's already been uh, spoke about uh, the process of thousands of years, uh, uh, the transition between the Beit Hillel concept, which characterized Judaism in an earlier period, and the Beit Shammai concept that uh, characterizes orthodoxy today. And uh, we also noted that not only the uh, many ultra-orthodox constantly uh, radicalizing, rising the wall of isolation around them. This trend is also happening in religious Zionism. We just said it, which is uh, ostensibly uh, less strict. And uh, But I want to ask you, is it reversible? Can someone come and change it? Are we talking here about an historic movement to one side and then to the other side? We see it all over history in all the, in all the cases and issues. 
do you expect 500 years from now a Betty Lale to to come back what what has to happen and I want I, I think I'm nominating you now to a prophet what has to happen politically religiously whatever in order to see the other side as well yeah so so I I I I really hope we don't have to wait for 500 years. I really think it can happen now, and it's totally uh, reversible. Jews have, have always demonstrated that everything is reversible. Every, nothing is a miracle, and everything is possible. I think the real issue, as I said before, is to, is to have this kind of reclaim. I mean, we, had, we dealt with, Beit Hillel dealt with this issue 2,000 years ago, and it had the courage to say, well, we could choose the, the, the path of, of escaping from the world, but we're not choosing it. And I think the, 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 the correction will take place when the Israeli public will stop assuming the orthodox stance as the only legitimate um, um, interpretation of Judaism and, and claim and reclaim it back and say, no, we want the Beit Hillel um, 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 approach and, and solve. And if you take this, if we take the LGBTQ issues and we take all different other challenges in Israeli society, there's so many different ways Beit Hillel can deal with them that will create will bring together so much closer the two pieces of Israeli identity, the liberal identity and the Jewish identity. So part of the part of my purpose in writing this book was to was to equip um, Israelis with the knowledge to fight back to say we we love Judaism. It's not something that we put far away. It's not something that we need that we want we want to hide. But we don't need to submit to to kind of interpretations that are not not necessarily. And they're definitely not were accepted to be the traditional Judaism. So if you ask me if this would happen, if there were going to be a reclaim of, of, of secular Jews who love their Judaism and say, this is the kind of Judaism we want, that can change immediately. Because the vast majority, I think, of Israelis today, and also the Jews themselves, Beit Hillel is a very powerful still, um, um, still uh, um, force within their identity. They are Beit Hillel. They just don't know. They don't articulate it in their daily actions. I'll just say, if you ask today someone from a religious Zionist or Orthodox, who are they, Beit Hillel or Beit Shammai? Not, not even one of them will say Beit Shammai, because it was so strongly accepted that Beit Hillel is halacha. But the fact is they are, and I think part of the transformation is, is understanding this and accepting that if we want to be Beit Hillel, we have to act differently. I'm so I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation a lot. I want to, uh, to know because I also learned from it. By the way, do you plan to uh, to uh, translate the book into English, for example? You have I, six, I would love six to. or seven million Jews in the United States of America. Most of them are liberals. They would love to to read it. Yeah, I, I wrote it because Israel is in this. Israel needs to make a real deep decision on its identity. But I would love to translate it. Of course, it's relevant for for. The deliberation in general between Judaism and, 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 and liberalism, and for sure for my work in the Jewish agency, trying to make the case why being Jew today, even if you're not in Israel, why it, why it matters to be part of the Jewish people, this notion that liberalism is part of your identity and Judaism and the same, and you don't have to make compromises between them is very, very important. So yeah, uh, I would love to at some point in the future. Um, to translate it. Finally, I did not plan this uh, question as well, but talking about the United States and Israel, I think you're not, uh, you are aware of the fact that in Israel, in the United States, the second largest uh, Jewish population in the world, I think after Israel uh, passed, uh, yes, I think we have yeah. 7 million and the most the vast majority of uh, American Jews are liberal. Can you can you cut mm -hmm. it for me? Do you do you have an assumption how many in in percentage of the American Jewry are liberals and how many are conservatives? 
by large, it's uh, it's close to some something eighty plus percent voted a for eighty twenty. And on the other hand, in Israel, I'm not sure we, I think, let's say roughly that we are 50-50 in a good day. I'm not counting the, the Israeli Arabs now that they're a conservative. If I'm counting the, I think it's even 40-60 against. It's yeah. not only secular because we have a lot of secular Israelis that are, that are not liberal. They are conservative. So how do you... Do you explain this, uh, this uh, picture? It's so, uh, why here uh, we don't have a major a majority to liberals and in the United States we have. So, and the effect, it, the effect on the relationship between, I think in the previous governments, they, they just took the, the reformed Jews in the United States and wrote them off the map. Right, right. So if you're asking me, look, this is a, this is a big, big question because it has also to do with the reason why religious Zionists are anti-liberal. I think the issue is not that they're conservative. I think a major issue has to do with, uh, with uh, the two-state solution, with their objection to what they call Western culture. So this is kind of much more nuanced than, I, don't, I really don't believe they're conservative in their deep uh, um, worldview. Um, what they are right. is like, 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 counter, like, like in Trump's kind of, of supporters, much more than they're conservative, they were this anti what they saw progressivism. I think that uh, very similar things taking place here. Liberalism as such is still a very deep, I think, um, intuitive to, to Israelis um, than, than, than American conservatism is. Even though there's now uh, definitely uh, kind of trying to create a more coherent philosophy of conservatism in Israel, but still, I think it's, it's, it's a very beginning and most Israelis just don't, most Israelis who are against, who are conservative, so to speak, are conservatives because they are terrified from liberalism, from the, from the left liberalism, not from yes. liberalism itself. Dr. Shivi Greenfield, it was really fascinating. I wish you success with the book. Thank uh, you very I much. I pledge you to translate, translate it to English. And thank you very much for joining us here in Israel. Yeah, thank we, you uh, for this opportunity. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great it talking was, to you. It was a privilege. We'll take now a short break and come back just after it with some final thoughts. Thank you. Bye bye. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and the Normal Soup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for staying with us. Well, this was not a conversation with headlines or scoops or a, a national diplomatic or security issues, but it, it contained a fascinating thesis uh, by a, a scholar uh, who is also an Orthodox practicing Jew that says and proves that yes, you can be in the same time 
a practice, practicing Jew, even Orthodox, and a liberal, even uh, a committed liberal. And the, uh, the big question is, can, can we go back in time, uh, one or two thousand years back, to the days uh, when uh, the, the Beth Hillel concept in Judaism was ruling, and uh, it let the human being decide be more flexible, think for himself, and not uh, like nowadays when Orthodox uh, Judaism is Bet Shammai concept, which is very, very conservative and becomes even more and more conservative and extreme by the minute. Uh, Shiva Greenfield uh, could not answer this question. I don't think anybody can. We will just uh, have to wait and see. I uh, hope you found it interesting and we'll meet here next a week in the next place and time in, own, uh, in our monitor in uh, on Israel. And I'm Ben Kaspi from Tel Aviv. Thank you. Take care and bye-bye.